Can, can the convenience we gain out of a lot of these capabilities, we're, we have to realize and just recognize we're giving something up. Hey everybody, welcome back to CISO Life. I'm Brian Hoagley with Side Channel. You can follow us anywhere on social media land, hashtag CISO Life, obviously sidechannel.com. We do a lot of fun stuff on LinkedIn. Uh, this is a new series that David and I are uh, kicking off with our uh, marketing lead, Lauren. She's off camera. She's going to be joining us in a second. And we wanted to start bringing uh, about a more robust conversation uh, about topics that are happening uh, around cybersecurity, privacy, and risk management. And David and I thought, why why not just have the two of us start going over some of these topics? And hey, you know what? There's enough of them out there, but let's, let's add one more podcast to the pile. So uh, like to introduce uh, David Chase Dean. He's a uh, executive vice president at Side Channel. He's joined me. We've been working together for a number of years. Uh, David, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, met Brian a number of years ago when I came into Side Channel and um, was was a fractional CISO for the firm for a while, and then ended up becoming a partner and helping kind of figure out where we we're going strategically. Um, I've had a number of side jobs during that time period, <laughs> other than just being uh, the CISO at GoFundMe. Um, uh, I've also been the CEO of, 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 um, of Starterlock, and we actually just merged the two companies recently. Um, and then uh, I have uh, a bit of a side hustle. I do um, sometimes write and produce for television as well. Um, and so that is that is a fun thing uh, that I get to do. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I got going on at the moment. And not to blow up your uh, your OPSEC, but you just recently left the San Francisco area and are now residing in New Mexico and enjoying yeah. a, a new new residence. How is uh, right. how is that out there? Uh, new Mexico is fantastic. I love New Mexico. We've got a, a, a lovely adobe house here, kind of at the the base of the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, and twenty minutes from the ski mountain. And uh, you know, I'm also a pilot, and so we're able to to fly the Cessna around and, and stay pretty mobile. And um, we love it. San Francisco was great, but it was time to time for, I think a lot of folks in the pandemic, you know, rebooted and tried new opportunities and locations. And so far that's going great. We love it out here. Lauren joins us. And uh, Lauren, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Lauren. I recently joined Side Channel as the marketing lead. I am super stoked to be working with all of you smart people um, and really excited to kick off today's conversation. Yeah, so full disclosure, everyone, I am not technical. Um, I have been just very interested in the conversation about data privacy, um, sort of through the context of what's happening in the courts. So I read an article this weekend um, that Gizmodo published on Saturday, and it's about companies knowing that when people are pregnant, um, sometimes before like family members get to know, um, and some of like the closest people to you get to know. So the article references this New York Times story that was published about a decade ago, um, where a statistician who was working for Target was tasked with inventing a new way to identify potentially pregnant shoppers, even if the company, even if the shoppers didn't want the company to know. Um, and the rationale for this is, of course, right, there's like, there's a lot of money in the mommy market. And so Target wanted to be able to um, personalize the promotions and coupons that they sent to those shoppers to incentivize the purchases that, that they would have been making anyway, as they navigated this part of life. Um, so I'm going to read from the article now. Um, the story this is about the second paragraph and the story goes, 
Um, after crawling through the freight of sale data from statewide shoppers on Target's public baby registry, he came up with a pregnancy prediction score that the company then inter assigned internally to each of its regular customers. Um, if you believe the rumors, not everyone does, Target's algos were so accurate that the company sent coupons for cribs to a teenage girl before her own father even knew she was due. A decade later, the story reads less like a court of capitalism and more like an ominous sign. Now it's not just Target, every company is hounding you for data. And thanks to the Supreme Court's decision to overthrow Roe v. Wade, a good chunk of the nation's police and private citizens can go after people seeking abortions and the doctors that would serve them if there's enough evidence. Um, and so I'm curious on your, on both of your thoughts about you know, data privacy um, in 2022, we know that there's a lot of data to go around um, and lots of people willing to pay for it. So I would just love to hear from y'all like what normal people do um, if they don't want their data specifically like, out there like this. What does privacy mean for an individual? It's it's a tough case because there's there are people who are using platforms who know full well that they're giving up their information willingly but don't seem to care about it until it kind of bites them in the ass. Right. Yeah. And then there's other yeah. folks out there who are just like, I don't want any of my data out there. How do I, how do I get around my data being part of this? But <laughs> let's take the target example. I, I had a really, as we were kind of prepping for this, I had a very interesting thought about, you know, a statistician came up with this idea at a corporation access to the data that the corporation had, and then basically built a business process to then enable sales. Okay. Where was the security team? Where was the general <laughs> counsel? Where where yeah. was legal? Where was HR in all of this? Where was heck? Where was the 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 PR team that's gonna mm -hmm. that knew if this thing backlashed, they were gonna have to be the ones standing out front going, actually, it's not as bad as y'all think. We swear. But so like I'm curious, you know, here's a great example of obviously different silos not working together. Someone running with a business process. Right. And I get it. Corporations need better business processes. They want to enable sales, but you're you need to kind of factor in all the other elements. So like my thought about this initially when we were talking about this was like, where were the other teams? Did they get the way in? Right. I mean, actually, if you kind of look back a little bit, Target doesn't really have the greatest track record yeah. you know, for for protecting uh, customer data. So, you know, was this around that time? Was that back around 2011, 2010? Like early 2010s was was when they had that credit card breach. They've obviously mm -hmm. gotten better since, but I mean, come on. I don't know, David, what are your first, like, let's just pick off this. Like, how do you look at, like, where were the other teams involved? Who would you have had involved? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You know, I think this is one of the, I think writ large, um, this is going to feel very random, but it, this often makes me think about Wendell Berry. You know, Wendell Berry's um, uh, former, he's a, he's, a, he's a poet and um, a farmer, <laughs> and uh, he's one of the founders of like the local food movement and uh, modern environmentalism. He's been writing, you know, in this capacity since the 70s. Um, but, you know, one of the things he talks about is, uh, you know, one of the problems that we're dealing with is, is globalization and kind of the fractalization of, um, fractalization of uh, responsibility. You know, they, they say, uh, you know, if someone brings you a PowerPoint slide and says, we're going to dump this pollutant, you know, uh, in the river where your factory is, but you live in the town where the factory is and your kids swim in that river, you're going to be like, no, we're not going to do that because the consequences are immediate. Similarly, like, you know, if you're going to like 
we're going to lay off half the half the staff, you know, and all those staff are your neighbors in the city where you live. And that's like your, your kids, like Sunday school teacher. It gives you pause. You know, there's that there's the consequences are tied to your actions in a, in a more direct way. And the problems with international corporations, the larger they get, you know, we can say, well, where were the teams? Why weren't they why weren't they collaborating? I mean, the job of a corporation is to enhance shareholder value, mm. externalize costs, you know, as much as possible um, and find new ways to do that, to redistribute wealth to those shareholders. And I think that, you know, it, this is what corporations are designed to do. Take, take the downsides, take the risks, try and move them out of the way, take the opportunities for profit and move them to the fore. And we, that's how the software is, is programmed is to just kind mm. of maximize that and to outsource risk outsource consequences, um, outsource things like pollution on people who are not having to, who are not part of the company, don't have to bear those costs. So it's not that surprising to me that this has happened. I think, I think that um, risk is, you know, I think we, the, the economic concept of externalities, an externality is, you know, I think one of the core concepts that we tend to think of intuitively around capitalism is you and I agree to, to engage in a transaction. I'm going to buy this thing from you. I'm going to give you money. That's, that's it. That's the whole transaction. Well, we start talking about things like externalities. Let's say I own property next to the river and you own like a leather tannery, right? I sell you my property. The externalities is no one in the in the town consented to all the pollution you're going to drop in the river while you're doing, while you're tanning leather. We've imposed those costs on other people. I've been really thinking a lot lately about risk externalities or privacy externalities where, you know, um, the risk is borne by the customers. You know, um, Target doesn't have to deal with the consequences of your dad or your partner finding out that you're pregnant. You know, like that doesn't affect the shareholders, but it affects the customers, you know. So this is one thing that good regulations do. They, they try to think about these externalities where those risks or those costs can be imposed on other people. This is what the Nuclear Regulatory Commission does, right? Mm-hmm. Is it says, what are the what's the worst case scenario that this private for-profit energy company can do if they run this nuclear plant badly? Like we have a, a very vivid sense of what those externalities look like after Chernobyl and Three Mile Island. You know, I think what we're going to have to do now is have regulations that think about the the risks, the quasi nuclear risks to privacy of mm-hmm. of, of uh, massive breaches uh, like the ones that Target had or that Yahoo had or that the Office of Personnel Management of the government had. Right. Yeah. You know, we're, we're seeing that movement, right, with, you know, CCPA first being adopted yeah. post GDPR. We're starting to see states create their own high watermarks and new regulations at a state level. Mm-hmm. Um my belief around the privacy piece, much like cyber, is the U.S., if we're focusing on U.S. kind of centric uh, discussion, like they're missing the opportunity to have a federal standard. Like, yeah. You know, that to me, that seems like kind of a win, because if you're thinking about the betterment of U.S. based companies and the ease of use and ease of consumer, yeah. I as a consumer, or I as a corporation, like now, great. I have to do 50 different. I have to see which of the 50 standards is the high watermark and I have to meet that or there's yeah. a nuance over here versus give me one standard. Let me. So great to see that that's where regulation can play in. I, mm-hmm. I definitely believe and, and agree that having something like that in place would be a benefit to probably everybody involved who's trying to navigate you know, these crazy waters. I tend to think about it from like a threat modeling standpoint, you know, like mm-hmm. I have. I have, I have Alexa here at home. You know, I've got, okay, Google turned on, on my, you know, Google devices. Um, and like, just turned on and everybody's, everybody's house is listening to this video right now. That's right. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mine just did it, actually. <laughs> See? I've heard yeah, stories of it happening from people saying it over TV. It's like, this, there's a connection here now. This is real. Um, but the, uh, you know, uh, I, I've had people who are like, well, you as, uh, and I'm, I, I didn't mention this in the, in the intro, but I'm a former you know, CIA officer and that's on LinkedIn. You can look that up. That's all, that's all public now. Um, but as a former intelligence officer, I've had friends who are like, well, why aren't you more paranoid, you know, about, um, you know, Amazon listening to your phone calls or listening to your conversations and for Google. And, you know, it was funny when I left CIA, I went to work for a, I will not name them, a civil liberties internet organization that is very famous. Um, and during my brief time working there, it was interesting working with those folks. There's a lot of like hacker anarchist types and they're like ultimate paranoia. You know, they're running, they're rolling their own Linux distribution compiling their own code, you know, um, PGB signing and encrypting every single email that they send. You know, it's, it's, it's extreme, you know, and it's cool. But, you know, um, it's a lifestyle it, choice. It's a lifestyle choice. The thing that was interesting to me was they were driven a lot by paranoia. And the thing I came to realize is paranoia is a function of ignorance. I was chatting with one of these folks and they were in the D.C. area and they were like, um, you know, I think the FBI broke into my house because I came in and some things were moved around. And I was like, I know the guys at the FBI that break into your house. If they broke into your house, nothing would be moved. Yeah, you, you wouldn't would, know it. You wouldn't know. You wouldn't know. Which tells yeah. me, because like these are people sometimes working with like Syrian dissidents or Iranians or things like that. I'm like, it could have been the Syrians. It could have been the Iranians. In which case, you should call the FBI and tell them that the Syrians or Iranians might have broken into your house. They'd like to know about that. And you would right. like them to know about that, you know. Um, but like, you know, being an intelligence officer, you always assume, I always assume someone's listening to my phone calls. Someone's reading my email. That's part of the tradecraft. That's part of how you are trained and you grow up. And you don't feel, you're not angry about it. You're not mad about it. You generally have a sense of who those people are. And it's like, that's the game. That's what you signed up for. But you think about that threat modeling and you understand why that person's listening to your phone calls. You understand why that person's reading your emails. They don't care about your personal life. They don't need your social security number. They're literally wanting to know what intelligence operations you're involved in so that they can know about them. Like that's their job, same as yeah. us, you know? Right. And so once you know what they're looking for, you don't really care about like, okay, whatever. They can know what I think about this new TV show on Netflix. I don't, I don't care about that, you know? Um, similarly with Amazon and Google, right? I know why Amazon and Google are listening to my conversations. I know what they're doing that with that data. I know what their motives are. You know, the motive for Amazon and Google is to redistribute wealth to Google and Amazon shareholders. That's why those companies exist. Mm -hmm. And I know that if they were to take my data and do something with it, take our data, all of our data, and do something with it wildly irresponsible, it would massively impact the share price, right? They have an incentive in a way that the government doesn't have, you know, to safeguard that data because the market forces are there in a way that, that keeps them under check. You know, you look at Yahoo and th that Yahoo breach is one of the things that finally killed Yahoo, you know, like Yahoo used to be bigger than Google. They were dominant and they 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 handled things poorly and, and ultimately it was part of what killed them, you know. Whereas with the government, there's this general sense of one, you know, if the government does something stupid, there's no even guarantee that like a congressman or a politician is going to lose their seat in the next election. You right. know, there's very little chance anyone's going to go to jail for that. The consequences are are different. And also the government can come to my house with guns and take me to jail or, or shoot me. Amazon and Google can't do that yet. So the level of risk 
is different, you know. But I think Lauren's really this article is getting to a thing that's that's really in the same way that we're talking about reaching or bridging the physical world and the web, right? Where mm-hmm. suddenly you're in, in a physical store like Target and you got to worry about the EULA, right? If you have these period tracking apps who then sell their data to law enforcement or sell their data to the government, now my intuitive sense of like, oh, I don't need to worry about Google and Amazon because it's not in their interest to do X or Y. Well, that doesn't apply to like Steve's period tracking app, you know, that I downloaded right. from like a third party site. I don't know what they're doing with that data. And, and they could very well sell that data to the government, which then could do nefarious things. That's a very valid concern. So then it's a question of like, who do you trust? You know, I think I, I feel pretty good about Google and Amazon because I understand the motivations there. But you look at like kind of fly by night third party stuff on the Apple's on the App Store or the Play Store. And I think there's a lot more reason to be concerned. And then, and then you wonder whether it's Google or Apple's responsibility to impose kind of in, it, it's a walled garden. They're the ones saying this is a safe space. I feel like some responsibility falls on them to make sure that those spaces are in fact safe. You know, if you download some some app you haven't used before. Yeah, it, the the responsibility can spread a, a, across a bunch of different groups, right? You as the consumer, right? What's your responsibility? Like, m- yeah. I think if somebody could take away from this conversation without going, oh God, there's there's no hope out of this out of what's been presented here. What the heck am I going to do? You know, at the very least. You know, and you're worried about hiding, you know, this type of information, paying cash, right? In in a physical yeah. store, probably your best bet. Um, you know, don't use a credit card if you are use use something else. Don't I, log I don't in like, with your phone number at the register yeah. for like the free, de- you know, for the special deals. Right. There's a reason like, why they want you to do that. Can can the convenience we gain out of a lot of these capabilities? We we have to realize and just recognize we're giving something up, and if the convenience is free. It, it, that's an old saying, right? If the product is free, you are the product, right? Exactly. If I'm getting yeah. if I'm getting something easier, right? Because I have to give up a phone number, right? Like, oh, just you know, I go to Supercuts for my haircut. Like, I'm sure you could probably tell. It's like, give us your your email, and we'll send you coupons, right? And I'm like, yeah. you know what? Like, I need one less email, and I need one less thing like tracking me or reminding me that it's been 30 days since I got a haircut, like. Yeah. I'll pay cash. I'll pay the extra buck. I don't need the discount. It's cool. I made that decision, right? Because I, I'm in this world with you, right? Of of security mm-hmm. and privacy where I'm aware of it. But most people yeah. aren't. They're just thinking, oh, it's convenient. I'll take advantage of the convenience. I don't, I'm not really sure what's what I'm giving up because the corporations, and we're talking back to responsibility, the companies that are providing this to you, are they clearly telling you what you're giving up for that convenience? Using a credit card is incredibly convenient compared to using cash. Why? Because if I only have $100 of cash on me, or even $100 to my name, but I have a $3,000 credit limit on my credit card, I can buy more than the cash that I have to my name with a credit card, so long as I obviously pay it back later, right? That's incredibly convenient. I didn't realize that signing up for a credit card and go to the EULA, right? I'm allowing third parties access to my data, right? Like yep. that is now a thing. So, okay, mm-hmm. great. Now I got to worry about that. So you've got the processor, right? The payment processor, you've got the the vendor themselves. And then Target might be, for out of this example, I've seen this else, elsewhere. I mean, the, the, the app tracking thing, this came up a little while ago. They're the ones who have your data. But then they're selling it to another third party yeah. who's doing analytics. And that's the business model. Yeah. And then that analytics group is now 
shaping and modifying and doing what it needs to, to then take that data and then resell that data back to the targets and to the other ones so that they can use it from a consumer model to sell you the appropriate things. I mean, they're trying to do targeted, you know, targeted ads, target sales, because they're like, hey, you bought this. Well, 80% of the people who buy this thing usually buy this and you haven't. So let me show you that thing now, right? Like that's a very, very real thing. So you've got all these different parties who are involved, who are accessing this data. And you're right. It's not the federal government involved with any of this who has a responsibility outright. It's corporations who are beholden to their shareholders or to their founders or their internal team, whoever's looking for that corporation or entity to be profitable to return something. So where does the responsibility stand? Because as a consumer, you can only do so much. You can only keep paying in cash or not visiting store or not buying things for so long before you have to use an organization and give up some level of information in order to get what it is you need, right? Like it, it's, I don't think there's an answer for it that we're going to have today. I think we're just spelling Mm -hmm. out, I think a little bit of what this nature of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people actually even think about beyond one step or even two steps, who else is involved and where that data goes. That's right. Um, Yeah. So you're right. Like some level of federal oversight, some type of regulation, would need to be the thing that would step in because none of these groups by themselves are going to go, Oh, hold up. Let's stop yeah. doing this. It's you know, I know we're making all this money. Let's not do this anymore because, yeah. because, you know, a 13 year old, you know, dad all of a sudden, you know, saw that a crib showed up or, or, or an ad for a crib and congratulations. Mm-hmm. Kind of cracked me up when, um, uh, you know, uh, they're talking about oh the uh, the Secret Service deleted their text messages you know you know about January sixth and I'm like text messages <laughs> oh my god you know it's like first of all you you, de- you don't delete a text message like that is still in there somewhere and it's yeah, in the carrier you, can you know subpoena like, Verizon for that it's not you're that a hard. law enforcement officer how do you not know this you know um, that cracks me it's like why are you using Twitter you know versus like if you wanted to keep it a secret why are you using Signal also presumably if you're casually talking about like you know exactly executive protection information or even just joking about it around the president, you know, it's like, y'all, y'all should be using more secure comms than that. You know, it's, you know, some people, the, the kids, kids have an intuitive sense around this, right. you know, that, that older folks don't. Um, and so it is interesting to kind of think about what the future is going to look like, you know, do, where we're going to have a generation of kids who are buying things in cash and being like, no, thanks, you know, when it comes to, you know, going to the store. And if so, what are the economic consequences of that? That's very interesting. Yeah, I think it is. Um, you know, we're at the we're at the bottom of our time, um, and and I think we went into this knowing we weren't going to solve any solve anything today. But definitely mm-hmm. a, a an interesting conversation and one I think we should continue. And you know, I'd like to you know as David and I continue uh, this new format uh, as we bring on other folks. You know, this is this is the type of thing. I don't you know I, I, maybe we're just going to call it. We're not going to solve it today. Maybe that's the name of the new show. You know, but. Um, let's just start thinking about it a little bit more uh, because I think as time goes on and as we find either new technologies or we see and can help shape government to position better regulations and laws um, or even be more demanding on organizations, companies, corporations on what they're doing for not just for shareholders, but for the greater good society. Maybe that's the kind of thing and the messages that we can bring back. So listen, I'm Brian Hoagley with CISO Life. Uh, thanks so much for watching this. Uh, We'll link just about everything we possibly can down below. Um, Hit the subscribe button if you're on YouTube. Follow us on LinkedIn. David, I want to thank you for being on today. Lauren, obviously, always a pleasure. 
We look forward to next week. We're going to shoot to do these on Tuesdays, release them maybe on Wednesdays, Thursdays, depending on how post goes. That's always fun, but everybody be good. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.